Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our Rembaum Institute series, The Poetry of Prayer, with Rabbi Joel Rembaum. All right, so we're on page um, 73 in the, oh, in the Leib Shalem Machzor. It's Eladon, it's the Shabbat. That would be the Shabbat for Rosh Hashanah. So we're looking at, at something that's familiar. This is obvious. This is not from, uh, high holidays. This is a Shabbat piece, as we all know. Uh, but you know, we say it all the time, but this really gives us an opportunity to look at it in greater depth and to, you know, try to, you know, plummet for its depth of, uh, expression. And it's a, this is a very, it's a, it actually is a, very heavily structured poem, but you not you you have to look for things to find it because it's not there's not a lot of uh, rhyme. There's rhythm, uh, but not a lot of rhyme. But there's something else that you'll see in just a moment. In fact, I will ask you to uh, go through it with me. So that we can see the item that we're the, uh, the, the feature that we're looking that, that stands out. Okay. Are we all here? No. Okay. Let's, uh, can you all, uh, uh, can, can both you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Okay. No problem. All right, so count with me the words. El Adon al kol hamaasim. How many? Four. Nope. El Adon Al Kol Hamasim. Oh, you're talking down below. Okay. Yeah, it's five. Right? Okay. Baruch Umavorach Bafi Kol Nishama. Five. Five. All right, so there you go. <clears throat> so the first two have five. Table oh you're I see. Okay. All right. I'm, just, I'm trying to catch up. I'm in the old Conservative. Right. So go to Shachrit for Rosh Hashanah. Okay. We have finished Psuke de Zimra. So we have looked at Yotzer or, right? Okay. We did, uh, Nishmat, uh, I'm sorry. We did, uh, Hakol Yoducha, the line that comes after the saying of the, the Baruch. Right after the Baruchu. Right. We're after the Baruchu, right? And then we're at El Adon. Got it? Okay. So there's El Adon al-Kol HaMasim, Baruch Umvorach, Befi Kol Neshama. Five words in each segment. All right? Then, Godlo Vituvo Lifne Olam, right? Da'at Utuvuna Sovavim Oto. Four. All right, all the rest, uh, we'll, we'll look at the meaning in a minute, but all the rest of those little clauses have four words. And that continues all the way down through um, Ra'ah, the Resh. As you see there, it's an alphabetic acrostic also. Ra'ah v'hitkin surat halvana is four. But now look, the last two clauses, Shevach, Notnim lo kol seva marom, tiferet ugedula, srafim ve'ofanim, ve'chayot ha'kodesh. 
six and six. So you have a frame of segments that are longer than the, all the intermediate pieces, right? The intermediate, the vast majority of the clauses are four words. The first lines are five each, and the last two clauses are six each. All right. So it's a structure, right? I mean, that's, that's, in other words, this is not a, a, a poem sort of just thrown together. It was done with a lot of thought. So let's look at the meaning, okay? So, El Adon El, Adon Kol Hama'asim. All right, El, of course, is God, right? The master of all, or Ma'asim, creatures, cre- things that were made, right? The master of all that was made, all, right? Why is it things that are made rather than things that are uh, that are being made? Or that oh well, no. It's it, it, this is going back. In the, basically, it's starting from the beginning of time. Okay, so it's not just present; it's past as well. Okay. It'll move. It will. In other words, you still you have in the present maasim things that God has made. That includes up until this moment, right? From antiquity until this moment, Robert. You know, I can only see half of your face. I know, but then I have to raise. All right, okay, all right. As long as you know. Okay. I'm all not right. Okay. So, so ma'asim, you know, the things that are made, it's they're still here, right? Then baruch umavorach b'fi kol neshama, blessed and blessed, uh, through, from the mouths of all that breathe, all living living creatures. So that would include humans and animals, right? So that's, so now it, you have the broadest nature, uh, uh, group of creatures. And then once again, then it ends up with the higher level ones. Those who have a breathing, who have a soul. So like right. a, a, an insect would not be included in this. Uh, why not? Do they breathe? Uh, I don't know about no, any, But uh-huh. I mean, they're, they're, they're active mobile creatures. So they would be included. They must. I don't know. I don't oh. know the bi- I don't do not know the biology or the anatomy of anatomy of insects. All right. I would assume they have. I don't know. If they need oxygen, they got to breathe. If they live in, a, if they can survive in an oxygenless uh, environment, then right. they don't need it. But I presume they do. All right. So that's what now. The, so those are the two five five segment five. Word uh, uh, clauses. Then, Godlovetuvo Lifne Olam, right? His greatness and his goodness are from before the world, right? Lifne, before, before the world was even created. His 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 greatness. So God then is not a created being. He is the creator, but uncreated, because he existed before. The universe. Da'at utavuna sovavim oto. Da'at, knowledge, tavuna, understanding, surround him. Right? So in other words, part of this pre-Genesis God is intelligence, which means, of course, that the world was created 
by an intelligent being. Okay, in other words, and what, so therefore, if the world was created by an intelligent being, then how, what, what, what way of understanding how the world came into existence is this denying? What other, what other ways could one suggest that the, that the world, the physical world, the world as we know it, came into being? How else? If not through knowledge and understanding, how else? Katibel. Um, through, through, this isn't right, but, but knowledge is in our human thing, like the mind and words, but I always thought the, the juxtaposition is clay, that we say the world came into being with clay, but other narratives, foundational narratives from the ta- same time period said clay, which would be a fashioning as opposed to a thinking about it, a, a making. I know I'm babbling by. Well, no, the clay that in the Torah only refers to the human being. No, the the clay is other societies thought that the world was built out of clay. Oh, I see, but not, but no, okay, but the Torah, oh, I see. Yes, but this is saying though, but, but what, who created the clay? Man. Well, how did that come here? Or was God. It, no, I mean, there were Greek systems that said the world pre-existed, existed forever. Aristotle does not accept the concept of creation. So he would not, he would, dis, he would debunk everything here, right? The world was never created. It, it was here for eternity. Ah, okay. Uh, his concept of a God, of, of a higher intelligence, which is how he defines it, is not a creator. Doesn't God, his concept of, of the, the one is not a creator. Plato, the Platonist system, yes, but not the, not the Aristotelian system. Hmm. All right. So, but so one answer would be it was eternal. Therefore, there was no creation. Okay. If there was a creation, some would say it was an accident. It just happened. It was boom. Just happened to happen. A coincidence. All right. Uh, others would say, uh, that the world was not created by an intelligent being. It was created by an evil being. And that basically the physical world is a bad place, uh, in which human souls became captured. Okay. And that happened. There are all kinds of explanations how that happened. Therefore, the ideal of the human being is to do what with their souls? If, if, in other words, if we don't really belong here, what should we do? If we don't belong, if, if a non, if if an, an an evil source, not a thoughtful source, but a conniving source, created this, or if it happened by an accident, all right. So according to these other these people, our souls are locked up in it. So what do we? What does that have to do, Tybal? <clears throat> what do we have to I, do? I, that would mean returning. That would mean there would be a focus on death. It would be like a death-based culture. Well, it, it's interesting. In the extreme, it was, and there were people who held this. This, this is that we're talking. What is called, um, uh, you know, it's a dualistic approach to the to the entire to to existence. All right, 
and it's Gnosticism. One form of it is Gnosticism. And there were in there were at different times extremists who actually committed suicide to fulfill that. Really? To facilitate that process. Others would have said, you know, we, we do mysticism while we're alive, and that allows us to taste, to transcend our physical selves, to get into the realm of the spiritual, the non-physical world, right? And that then we can move up there permanently once we die. But there was, I mean, I don't know if the Stoics, but one of the schools of thought said uh, that the the body is a jail for the soul. Okay. Okay. Um, Marlies, again, Gary. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just thinking if it's an ac- accidental creation, you know, presuming no God, the... I mean, hedonism could be a, a way to go, a way of just, uh, or, you know, or trying to maximize, you know, accumulation or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, you could say that as well. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, then there were people who held with that, right? Eat, mm-hmm. drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, we're here. Take advantage of it, you know? And right. Gonna, then we'll be gone, whatever it is. Yeah, enjoy it while you can. On the other side of it, if, the other side, if you want to change things, you're not beholden to a god, you know, you know, an evil god. You're not beholden to a good god. You want to change things and fix them. That gives you another option to do. Right, that's true. And and uh, <clears throat> right, but Judaism would say that's correct also, right? Because remember, the rabbis teach us that we are partners with God in the creation of the world. Right? We we are the ones who have to sort of help God finish the job. So. That's how the rabbis would deal with that particular argument. And it could be that that notion came out of it, out of this notion that there is no higher being to fix anything. So we got to do it ourselves. Okay. Which is a good practical approach, but the rabbis incorporated that, if you will, and to some degree, the Bible itself into the notion of the responsibilities of the human being. Okay. All right. Good. So, I mean, so it, it here, but then, so God is the creator of all, and the world was created with knowledge, right? So there's this, there, there's this religious approach called intelligent design, right? You've heard of it, right? And, and in some respects, it's a good, it's a good concept. It, it is, because I mean, that, that's how, that's what this is saying. It was intelligent design. The ultimate intelligence designed it. And that's that, you know, the very consistent with, with Jewish thinking. But when you talk about intelligent design, the problem is that many of the people who hold with that as a concept, standalone concept, will say, well, that should be taught equally as science. And the point is, it's not science. That's the, where it gets, people get confused. It is not science, right? It is a statement of faith. It is a, a certain analysis of the world that is not subject to um, the kind of, rig- of rigorous analysis that results in science. It's something you in which you believe. Yeah, okay. It's, I would say it's a legitimate faith state, absolutely. But it ain't science, okay? Science, science for a believer like myself, science helps me get glimpses or, you know, feel, you know, have a sense that the, that there is an intelligent being. 
But can I prove the existence of that being simply by, you know, my evaluation of the world? No. So it's a matter of religion is faith and nothing wrong with that. As long as it's a, it's a, it's a benign, not benign, it's a beneficent faith. It's a faith that does, brings good into the world. Okay. Now, moving on. God who takes pride in the holy animals. Chayot, a chaya. You've heard the term avilda chaya in Yiddish. A wild animal, right? A chaya. Chaya means a living creature. Chai, lichiot is Hebrew, right? Chai, chayim, right? So a chaya is someone who has chayim, who has life. It's a living creature. Okay. So who are the holy animals? Anybody know where it's from? Well, are you are you talking about animals like cows and goats and things like that? Is that what you mean by animals? No. no. Are the holy animals the one that were used for sacrifice in the temple? No. They're, those are kosher animals. They became holy, yeah, when you consecrated them for a sacrifice. That's not what this is talking about. The Chayot HaKodesh appear in Ezekiel chapter 1. They are sort of the legs, the four things that support the throne of God that Ezekiel sees. And the Chayot HaKodesh have a, they, they, their wings, they have two sets of wings. One set of wings moves them in that direction, and the other set of wings moves them in that direction. Okay? And when they're flying, the other set of wings covers their body. Okay? So they're never left totally naked, so to speak. Okay? But they're like, think of a chessboard. Think of a, a castle. How does the castle move? The rook. How does it move? Right? So the Chayot Kodesh move like that. Straight lines. Right? All right, but they have their heads are very unique. Their heads create on have on they have four sided heads, four faces. Okay, this is all in Ezekiel chapter one. Okay, so the one in the front, you know, the most prominent and significant one is a human being. Then the next one, I would guess, would be on the right side, would be a lion. Right? The most fearsome of the wild animals. On the back would be an ox, the most powerful of the domesticated animals. And on this side would be an eagle, the most powerful of the birds. So each one represents the most powerful. So, okay, so they're, they're chayot and they don't have feet. Their, their bottom is a pedestal foot. Because it's directionless, right? You think your feet face, face forward and back, yes? Because that's how you move, right? But these guys are multidirectional, so they're round or directionless. So I mean, they have one foot. That's the point. They could be squared off. We don't know. It's not, it's not described that carefully. But the point is the four things are they hold up the divine throne. And our major constituents of the Merkava, of the divine chariot that Ezekiel sees. Okay. So right. it's saying here, and, and that then presumably that's how, that's what you, if you were to go up to heaven, that's what you would see. Now there are up in heaven, there are four archangels, 
that are part of God's immediate counsel. Okay, this is all mystical and rabbinic, all right? Uh, but the four archangels are not the ones necessarily that support the, uh, the throne. Okay. Now, if you have dreams about this tonight, please let me know. <laughs> All right. And if you take, if you can make a video, it would be even better. All right. So he's proud of them. Then you'll see here, he is glorious and magnificent and glorious on the Merkava. Merkava is the Hebrew word for a chariot from the word Rachav, Rachov, which means to drive. Okay, car and automobiles are Rechev, same root, Merkava, Resh, Kav, that, okay? So that's the Merkava. Then it says, Zuchudu Mishor Merit and integrity are before his throne. In other words, these values are present, primary values, okay? Merit, integrity, and then also chesed v'rachamim lifnei right? And, and uh, loving kindness and compassion are in front of his glory. Remember when it says kavod, kavod doesn't mean just honor. It me it's referring to the, the, um, Condensed expression of God as God's presence appears in the world. The kavod. So the kavod, according to priestly tradition, would come into the holy of holies. So that's the kavod. Okay. And that's how God appears in the world. Uh, for example, in chapter 16 of the book of Exodus, when the Israelites get the manna, they're complaining. And then God tells Moses to tell him what to do. And when the manna begins, just before that, the presence, the kavod appears. Okay, and the people see it. But presumably it's masked by a uh, some sort of a cloud. Okay, it's masked. And because they can't see it and live, right? It's like, they are, it's like the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur with the smoke. When he goes in the Holy of Holies. But the, that's what the kavod is. And when it says kavod, it's not simply honor, glory. It's transferred, but it's, it's something much more substantive than that. Okay. So, so, but notice, so you have integrity and compassion and love. Those two elements, right? And th- those are the balancing elements in the world. They, they are sort of parallel to Deen. And rachamim, judgment and compassion, right? Now you think when you put on your tefillin in the morning, so you say, um, you say the erastich, uh, right? When you wrap around your hand, erastich leilom, erastich le, but tzedek ubemishpat ubechesed ubarachamim, with righteousness and judgment and justice, and then with loving kindness and compassion. So it appears that the 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 first thing would be the 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 the, the integrity side uh, matter, and then the next, but then comes the compassionate matter. And it's interesting because, generally speaking, the rabbinic tradition, the rabbinic tradition, puts rachamim first in terms of of the more uh, the the primary. Uh, 
uh, element within God's character, attribute, pardon me. Okay. So, so here, this is a God then <clears throat> who is m- magnificent as the creator God who is surrounded by uh, angelic forces and who uh, exudes uh, all of these noble qualities. <clears throat> okay? It's all right, Paulo, you are forgiven because Rosh Hashanah is coming. And now Joel, the time to start forgiving. Yeah, Joel, okay. Barbara. Just out of curiosity, the English translation of the last two lines is so different from what they are because in Hebrew, it's saying in front of your, in front of his seat, which would be the throne. And, and then he puts the integrity and merit and the, they flipped it. Yes. Mercy go in the, in the first the translation. Yes. 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 Why do they do that? Why don't they? Yeah, because it? I think they wanted to demonstrate that compassion should come first. They took poetic license to manage, to, to manage a poem. Okay. Okay. I, I'll bet you that that's what, because that's what I was talking about before, right? That the, generally the rabbis give precedence to compassion. All right. <clears throat> Moving on. All right. So now we're getting more specific. <clears throat> And by the way, keep in mind the reference to the angelic beings, because that's also a hint at something that is yet to come that you will see shortly. All right. So keep keep the notion of the heavenly host, the angelic heavenly host. Keep it in the back of your heads. All right. So now, Tobim Orochabara Elohim, the uh, lights that God created are good, right? How do we know they're good? Because Hashem says they are. Where does Hashem say they are? Right there. <laughs> Where? In Bereshus. In Bereshit. In Bereshus? <laughs> what yeah. kind of language are you speaking? <laughs> I'm an old Ashkenazi. God bless you. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you're perfectly all right. Just as long as you're consistent with it. I do not like yeshivish. When I when I the word with Ashkenazis and ends the word with Sephardic, I don't like that. All right. But I just say when I taught when I was a kid and the conservative movement changed over, I thought I'm not doing this. My ancestors didn't talk that way. Am I? I switched. I switched. (laughs) But the only time I've had to switch is when I taught kids in supplemental religious school. Then I switched. But when I teach adults, I don't. Okay. We have a rabbi that's in Arizona now that grew up in our library minion, Andy Green. Yeah. And he was taught Ashkenaz from his father, who still reads in Ashkenaz. He still uses it. But Andy was, has had to switch to Sephardic as now that he's the rabbi of a synagogue. Well, he's got to be a role model. And that's the current way Hebrew is spoken. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah, I remember when we switched also. That was, I was in second grade. So yes. All right. Anyway, so the, the lights are good because God said so when he created them in, in Breshi, right? Every day. Tov, tov. The world is good. Right? Yetzaram, but the Atbavino of Haskel. And here it is again. Right? 
we, we saw Da'at Tuna before, okay, but that was talking about other parts of, you know, that was a general statement. Now it's getting specific. And so God created the heavenly lights again with this intelligence and understanding and, and Haskell, more than that, three levels of knowledge. Okay. What's Haskell? Well, Haskell, if you want, another form of knowing, understanding, okay. but it's reasonableness, right? Okay. Seichel, it makes sense. Yeah. All right. So it's that same notion. Uh, these are different forms of, of expression. We know Bina Da'at, Da'at means an intimate, deep knowledge. Bina is understanding. Seichel would be more logic. Okay. If you want to be philosophical. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, Koach Strength and might did he give to them. To the, to whom? To the Ma'orot, to the heavenly host, right? Because they rule over the world. Tevel is the earth, right? They have power over us, yes? What, what's, what's their power? Everything. Well, sun and the moon and the stars, right? So if you are into astrology, which most people back then were, even Jews, do you know that the only great medieval Jewish philosopher who denied astrology, do you know who it was? Who would you say was the most rational of all the great Jewish philosophers up until the modern period? Teibel. Maimon. who yeah, somebody else said it too. Rambam, exactly. Yeah. Maimonides, yes. He says astrology is BS. Doesn't say that, but he says the equivalent. Okay. Everybody else accepted it. So one can suggest then that part of the rule is because he doesn't say the sun and moon and sun and the moon, right? The sun and the moon we understand because there in in Breshid it says that they rule, right? The sun moves, rules over the, the daytime. And the moon rules at night. Right? You with me? Yes. Okay. All right. So, so the, so the Ma'orot then are the sun, the moon, and the stars. So the stars are the constellations, right? And the powers that exist within them. The sun, right? Of course, power, more, more often than not, the most powerful of the lights. Because that's called the Maor Hagadol in Breshi, the great light. And then there's the Maor Hakatan, the smaller light, which is the moon. Right? The question is though, uh, why would somebody, and maybe we did this once before, I don't recall, why would somebody worship the moon? And by the way, it's very likely that the, the ancient, the ancestors, the ancestors, uh, the biblical ancestors, Abraham, right? That his whole family, Probably were moon worshippers because they sent the names of the places that they are associated with in the Torah were centers of moon worship in, in Mesopotamia. All right. So, all right. Go ahead. Tybal. So why is because, the moon? Because power? the moon, given how much closer it is, the direct effects are more observable. There are all sorts of things. It's not just women and cycles. I mean, I see Paula, and I don't know why I think of Hawaii, Paula, but it, oh, yeah. whether it is or not, but things because like... Because her daughter was in Hawaii. Oh. Yes. But Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm yeah. trying to remember how many days, but like in Hawaii, they know 
when the jellyfish show up is so many days after, I don't remember if it's the new moon or the full moon, but there are all sorts of things where the moon, the moon has a, an observable direct connection on natural phenomena in a way that sun doesn't. Right. This, and the tides also, right? The, the whole tidal process. Yes, right, right. So gravity, the moon's gravity. Yeah, right. And there's an old rabbinic concept as well. Okay. The sun shines during the day when it's light, right? Yeah. The moon shines when it's dark. So whose light is actually more important? The moon's. So you worship the moon. That's probably, that may be one of the reasons, in addition to the observed things, which we just heard about, which is undoubtedly true, but the logic of the thing, right? Because they didn't know <laughs> that the sun, it took, it took a while. Now, I don't know what the Greek, Greek or Babylonian astronomers actually knew, but clearly, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know that they knew that an eclipse you know, is the the Earth blocking the light of the sun on the moon, or the moon blocking the, the the sun of the light on the Earth? You know, I don't know if they understood these things. Okay, but the point is, you think about the logic of it, right? At night, it's dark, it's scary. Thank God they got the moon because I can see where I'm walking. All right. So anyway, the point is yes, and obviously the sun because the they they knew farmers knew that without sunlight, crops can't grow. Right. And they understood that plants perk up in the light of the day and so forth. So but I think I think what Tybal said in a general sense is absolutely right. They were key, the ancients were keen observers of the natural world, especially the farmers, which dom who dominated and, and the herdsmen. I mean, people who lived used nature and lived in nature knew and under, understood it in ways that, you know, we we are surprised, but it makes very much sense that they, they understand it. Go ahead, Barbara. Yeah, does this talk about the moon being as important as it is have anything to do with why uh, Jewish days start in the yes. evening? And no, then no, no. No, not, 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 not that, no, because it says, and by here or by Hevoker. It began with night because the, the, the primeval chaos was in existence before the light was created. Remember, it says in the first, let's say, in yeah, the, by the, here, the third by line here. of Shmok, of Rashid, that the, the, there was darkness on the earth. And then God said, let there be light. So darkness preceded light. So that's why that is. No, no, but you're right in the sense that the, um, the, the fact that the holidays begin in the middle of the lunar month, what is the condition of the moon at that point in time? Big. Full moon. Exactly. It's the full moon. Right? It's not a blue moon. Oh, ho, 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 ha, ha, ha. Very I'm, I'm back. Oh, oh, oh. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, good. I like, leave it there. That's very nice. No, I like seeing her face for the first time in years. Yes. All right. Anyhow, moving on. All right. So the lights. Yes. Um, now here again, Mlaim Zivu Mafikim Noga, right? They are filled with light and they sparkle with Light, right? Nah, is Ivan, their light is, is, is wonderful, is beautiful, is lovely over the whole earth. The whole world benefits from their light. Smech, now here it's very interesting. 
you would remember this isn't this poem is an alphabetic alphabetic acrostic, and you look in the in the book you'll see it right. It's an alphabet acrostic, but here because they wanted to use these words sameach and sasim, they put in words with a sin, not a samach. They played the sound issue here rather than the spelling issue. And if you think about it for a moment, by the way, what would you put in with with a samach? It's hard to think of something in the context of what's being spoken of here that is has this sense of emotion and feeling that you want to bring out in this. They needed to express this. But who's reading it? The rabbis at the pulpit. What, who, well, no, no, no. Person at the pulpit. There what, well, yeah, I mean, you mean who's leading the service? Who's just leading the service, yeah. Yeah, he's got the manuscript, right? What does the people, what do the people in the congregation have? Nada. Nada. Ears. Memory. Right? So the fact that this is an alphabetic acrostic, and that these terms are terms that deep in them, and that may be the, one of the reasons why this repetitious form of poetry developed, actually. Because if you know that you're each word, look at the thing. Right, so you have Malayim Zibum of Peking Noga, right? Filled with light and filled with light, right? Na'ezivam Bechol Ha'olam. Their light fills the whole world. Smechim Betzaitam Vesasim Bevoam. They're happy in, in their coming, in their coming, in their, uh, leading, leading, and in their, in their, and then they're coming. All right. And then, Osim Be'emaratzon Konam. And they do what they do because of the will of their creator. All right. So the point is, Smechim Betzaitam Vesasim Bevoam allows the author to use the words in the place where the S sound would be, but to express the sense of joy. I mean, what they're doing here is say, the, what's the picture of the world that's emerging from this? Hold on, Taiba, let me ask this question. What picture of the world is emerging from this? What impact does it have on, on, on us? It's like a joyous, ordered universe. Exactly, a joyous, beautiful, ordered universe, right? It's magnificent, right? And and the creator, therefore, has got to be seen as an amazingly wonderful, powerful, brilliant artist, okay? So this is what's being expressed. And it's supposed to fill, remember, this is Shabbat. We don't say El Adon during the week, we say something shorter, which we'll see in just a second. All right, we don't say this. I mean, when Rosh Hashanah falls midweek, we are not saying this. This only fall if the Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah fall on Shabbat, we say it. Like this year. Because this is a an expression of, in a sense, what God experienced on the first Shabbat. Think about it. God rested. Now, what did God do on Shabbat, presumably? Ah, Samachaya. Look at this great place, right? Remember, because before Shabbat came in, he said, Tov Ma'od, right? It's wonderful. He said it. I did a good job 
And so he sits back and, ah, this is magnificent. Okay. And that's what we're supposed to do. Think about it. The main thing about Shabbat, when we say Shabbat Shalom, harmony, right? What, what is the, what is the meaning of that harmony? Harmony where? Everywhere, right? We're not allowed to, to, you know, you can't do labor, right? You're not to any labor. Can you pluck a, bra- a blade of grass? Can you intentionally pull a flower off of a plant? No. That's, is it, does it have to do with cal- with how much calories you expend in your effort? No. What are you doing by plucking up a blade of grass? You're changing the world. You're changing the world, right? The only change you can make in the world legally on Shabbat is changing a, changing a person's health situation into, into life, right? In stopping a something that could impinge upon the very life of the human being that you may change. The point is, Total harmony is what Shabbat is about. And that's what you see. This amazingly powerful God is telling us, he cre- I created this amazing, powerful world. I'm looking at this stuff, and I feel so good. And that's how we're supposed to feel. Okay, Kaibel. Um, I was thinking about what you said, that the sin was used instead of a, um, a Sameth. So the sin, this root is like, Sameach, like when we say Chag Sameach, like joy. Yes. But wouldn't a good word be in this context the the root one for Smicha with about authority? Like that's what the Sameach isn't like Smicha. No, but with Smicha is at least uh, no Smicha means you are vesting someone. With authority, right? But isn't that part of the structure of how we do thing, thing? I mean, I just got curious because I thought, why sin and why? Oh, some- I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to suggest to you that it doesn't work because when you're so make something, like for example, so make no flim means you're picking up those who have fallen. All right. So it has that meaning of picking something up, of moving something from this point to that point, right? All right, and and help and helping that person, right? This is not uh, the point is, and when you're talking about ordaining or something like that, means you're vesting them with authority, but you're making a change. You're affecting. You are when you are so make something, you're affecting a change in something. Right. You can't you can't uh, technically you can't pick up something on Shabbos unless you're in an Arab. Right. Because you're moving it. You're you're changing its status. So when you are so make when you 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 are so make your hands on the head of an animal when you before it is slaughtered for a sacrifice, the owner of the sheep that is about to be offered as a gift that as a thanks offering to God, when you put your hands on it, you're so mech. Okay, and what are you doing? You're sanctified. You're saying, I hereby sanctify this. I don't have the power to sanctify per se, but I'm declaring that this is hektesh, 
that this is now a sanctified object in the sense it belongs now to God. And the sacrifice that is being done now, the priest is doing it, but it's my sheep. So I would suggest the concept of samach, that word with a samach, does not fit Shabbat. It's affecting a change, a change in status, change in location. But it's not smechim, doesn't do that, right? It's an, an internal felt something that happens by itself. Okay, God doesn't, doesn't turn on a comedy show for us, make us laugh. Right, it's 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 an innate feeling that emerges from us, as it does within these angels, who are these these these. The, the point is the the um, the heavenly host are filled with joy in their in their in their doing what they do, and they they don't change. The whole point is they don't change on on Shabbat. They keep doing what they do. And they're not, they're not, they have not been ordered to cease doing, right? They can't because God would not, then, then the rest of us would be outsourced. So it's for the sake of the existence of life that they continue to do what they do. God doesn't disturb it. And it's cyclical anyway. It just happens once it's in motion, it happens. Okay. So I would say I, I would be very uncomfortable with having that word with a samach. I, I just want to say I'd never heard before about animals before they were shechted that it's the same verb. Yeah. So right there, right there. It, just forget it. Yes. Okay. Anyhow, all right, moving on. Joel? Yes. Um, is this the only acrostic in our prayer books? That's no, there? no, no. You've got. No, some. no, no, wait, let me finish. Yes. That has a, that has a sin instead of a psalmic. Oh. Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. I mean, it's interesting, the idea that this might be the only one. I Now I have That's to go. It's, look. You know, keep your eyes open <laughs> and your ears. Well, if it's your ears, you may get confused. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's a, that's a good question, though. Oh, see, no, but here, in, they're rejoicing. But at the same time, Ema is fear, right? They do, they're filled with awe, awe and fear when they fulfill the will of their kona. Kona means to acquire, but it also means to create. Kona shamayim va'aretz. We saw that already. Okay. We saw that use. Kona is a creator, right? It's a builder, right? No, that's a bona. Well, that's bona, right? Bona, right. This is a creator. All right. Pe'er v'chavod notnim lishmo. The the heavenly host, the lights, all right. They they pair uh, is glory and and honor. Here, kavod means honor, dignity. They they give they they exude uh, this magnificence and honor to the name of this to the name of God. In other words, they praise God. That's what they're doing. All right, shmo God's name. Remember, we talked about this before. The name of God is the is is it is a sort of a metaphor for the essence of God. Okay, Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo, right? All right. So halavarino zecher malchuto, great singing and rejoicing at the, in the memory of his zecher doesn't mean memory in the sense of someone that's died or something that something doesn't exist, 
but as a remembrance, as a, <coughs> you know, makes this a, an awareness of God's kingship. Okay. Now, remember, we're saying this on Rosh Hashanah on the day when God is this seen as king. So it fits right in. But here, this is showing you the concept of divine kingship is a continuous one. This has nothing to do with the day of judgment. When we say Hamelech, right? Hamelech HaKadosh. We put change Ha'el HaKadosh to Hamelech HaKadosh at the end of the Kedusha, right? This is not what the word Malchut of God, and it's not a political kingship. It's a universal kingship. Why? Karala Shemesh Yisrachor. He called out the sun and it, and it, 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 it shone with light. He saw and he adjusted, he created, he he set in motion the shape of the moon. What you see behind Tybal, that whole change of the of the shape of the moon is something that God set in motion. Okay, now he doesn't there's no change in the sun, because there's no cyclical change in the sun. Right? By the way, stop for a moment. It said, I didn't pick this up before. Right? They rejoice when they leave and they're happy when they come. In other words, you'd think if the sun ruled at day, right? How would he feel if it's a, if it's a, <coughs> very often, <coughs> a strong, healthy, not decrepit king? Right? Does he look forward to the end of his reign? No. The longer the better. Right? So this king, his reign ends every 24 hours. Is he angry? No. He's happy because he's fulfilling the will of God. And so suddenly when he comes back in the morning, is he saying, you know, the line, the, the difference between the optimist and the pessimist? The optimist says, good morning, God. And the pessimist says, good God, morning. <laughs> That's the difference. Okay. So, so this sun and the sun, when it comes up in the morning, says, good morning, God. When the moon comes up, good evening, God. When the sun goes down, see you later, God. You got it. They're happy at the whole thing. In other words, the whole system, this great for them. They're very happy. Now a concluding statement. And again, now we're doing to see the six words. Shevach notnin lo, kol tzvamarom, all of the tzvamarom, all the host of the heavens, right? Both the, remember, it began with the angelic realm. And you're going to see just a minute, it's going to pop up right again here. So the great Shevach prays the, the entirety of the Upper world praises God. Tiferetu gedula, right? What is it? They, they, what do they? What do they talk about? They talk about the tiferet, the magnificence, and the gedula and the greatness. And who's included in this? Srafim ve'ofanim ve'chayot hakodesh. The fire angels, the wheel angels, and our chayot hakodesh. The four. Uh, angels that we talked about before. Srafim, Saraf, they're, they're sparking angels. Okay. Ofan, again, going, this is all from Elijah. 
uh, from Ezekiel. Opanim are wheels. These are these wheels, which were the wheels of the chariot. And inside of each wheel are eyes. A circle is a series of eyes. Okay, it's like my Tesla car. It's got eyes all over the place. You can see everything around you. You know, it gives you you can't get lost. Okay. Now, if I had the automatic drive on my Tesla, which I will not activate because it's not safe yet, but you could you don't have to get lost because you know you just go to Waze, plug it in, and the car will get you there, theoretically. But with, don't don't do it if you have a Tesla. Don't do it. Cost you ten thousand bucks. Can put your life in danger. Don't do it. All right, I didn't do it. Okay, anyways, but anyhow, it's a magnificent piece, isn't it? I mean, this we sing it all the time. Now you know what you're singing, okay? And uh, you, I'd say you have to be impressed by the the nature of this poem and by the ideas and and the glorious expression of of the world. Okay, and it's done on Shabbat because that's the day you're supposed to appreciate it, oh, the way okay. God did, and you join with this the upper realm in praising God, mm-hmm. right? You join with the upper realm in praising God. Okay, Tybal. So, because I'm in the older conservative Moxor, and it's just in a paragraph stuffed together, so it was harder to follow. I started looking online for Ella Doan laid out his poetry. And one thing I found said it's a piute attributed to the Your Day Markava. So what it seemed to me, if you happen to know who wrote it, I would think that like um, great rabbis who took the name we know them from, from their greatest written work, is this the same thing that we don't know the name of the writer of the PU because no, it was about, because well, it was don't. about the Merkava? He no, was the Ordei Merkava. It's it's a it's an it's a, a euphemism for those who went up to see the Merkava. Okay, so for example, um, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Ishmael ascended. The people, the mystics. Or your day Merkava. Okay, it's sort of a modification that, you know, God forbid they should be seen as ascending. But you know. I thought the root for Yared is descend. Yeah, Rod means to come down. Oh, so the ones who went up, but then they came down again. Yeah, they are, but, but I think it's, it's, it's a way of not ex- expressing that they're, they're, they're going up there because it's as if, yeah, it's expressing the fact that they have come down from it because if they went up there and stayed there, they would be angels. Okay. There is one human, according to the, the ancient mysticism, uh, Hanoch, uh, Enoch went up and stayed there and he morphed into uh, Metatron, who is the chief angel, the boss angel. And he was a human, and he morphed up there, which is very interesting. It says that God's number two in heaven was a human being. Very interesting. Not God. In fact, uh, we talked about Elisha ben Abuya, right? 
the, the, the whole point was he went up there and he saw the angels paying homage to Metatron. And he thought that Metatron was a god. And he said, oh, my God, there are two gods up there, Hashem and Metatron. <clears throat> and that's why he came back and he became a heretic. He didn't understand. Okay. But Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Ishmael, and others who made that trip, so to speak, mystics, they were the ones who could really appreciate what this was. Yes, Paula. I wonder if you could just speak about angels, <laughs> because here it is every Shabbat, we're essentially saying, yes, there are angels along with us. Here are the angels that are... Like everyone's praising God, you know, and I know that, you know, we do Kadosh in the Kadusha, there's Kadosh, 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 you know, the also angels, but I really find it challenging to have, uh, angels, um, in the world. I think, you know, I, I do not personally, you know, look, look around to see angels. Okay. But on the other hand, I think what this is saying is, they, they represent forces that we cannot comprehend. And there's always, when you think about the, the entirety of the universe, there's a lot that we cannot comprehend. And so this was the way that the ancients would define them. Also, they had in front of them models of, of ruling. They just transposed earthly models up until the highest realm, right? Think of a royal court. King doesn't sit there by himself, right? He's surrounded by advisors and servants who assist him and, you know, do his will. And so they, they figured, they assumed that, well, if it's here, surely there must be a very magnificent one up there. The same reason that it's the same literature that goes into it in great depth is the one I've mentioned before that these are the people who taught that God has a body of light. He's got a body. He has a body, but it's not a human body. It's not a light made of matter. It's, it's about, it's made of light. And his legs are 20 million parsangs long. What's a parsang? A parsang is a Persian measurement. I don't know. It's not a kilometer. I don't know the exact distance. Okay. But that's what they say. All right. So you say, isn't that stupid? You know, if you're if you're an ancient, no, it wouldn't be because what you're saying is this is not a god of this world. Okay, what you're saying is I think of, I define as a human being things based upon my experience. All right, the later philosophers would would refine that and not talk in terms. They would, you know, Maimonides and you know Halevi and, and these guys would not think in those terms. And Rambam would not view an angel specifically as described rabbinically. <clears throat> it would be more of a force of a force of nature of some kind. But people believed in these things because they needed to explain phenomena whose explanation was beyond them. But we've retained them in our liturgy. Right, I think, but the point is, so we need to look at them as metaphors. As, as in a sense, the ancients, the intelligent agents, ancients probably did the same. Okay. Think about, we talked about this before, the, the Anim Zmira prayer. 
where the author of the prayer says they talked about you in metaphors because we really don't know what you are. We cannot comprehend God, so we use we speak of God metaphorically. Okay, we say Biyad Chasakal right? God took us out of Egypt with a, with a strong hand and outstretched arm. Right? Does God have a, an arm? Right? God, when when we talk about uh, the sacrifices, Reach Nichoach, it's a plus a pleasing aroma that they send up to God. But God has a nose. He can breathe. No, it's a metaphor. And they knew it. But on the other hand, there are, there's, there's thought today, Bible scholars are saying the ancients believed, I mean, our ancient monotheists believed in some form of a God body, but it wasn't physical and doesn't necessarily mean that it, it had arms and legs. But he, the definition of a body is a, an entity that is, takes a space, that, that takes, fills a certain space at a certain point in time. That's what a body is. Okay. Think about it. It's a broad general statement. Okay. Now that could be the kavod, the, the, this divine power source that's light. Okay. And it, and, and it radiates energy. Right, that would be the force that was in the ark that the the nasty German guy opened up at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, that was the kavod because it was in the ark, right above. Technically, it was above the ark. The angels, the kruvim, were the throne. Right, it's another form of what Ezekiel was talking about. Those were Chayot HaKodesh, to another version of these uh, sacred animals, holding up the, the invisible, the, the non-visible to us, right? Anyway, all I'm saying is, when I say, when I talk about these, when I use these terms angels, I'm speaking about the infinite forces, as far as we know, that exist in the universe. And that, and that's, that's fine. And I think about it poetically. Okay. I think about it poetically and I say it. So my, I'm glad you raised it because one of the things trying to do here is to help us. There, these are poetic statements and you have to read it as I say as poetry. That's the whole point of what we're trying to get across here. Poetry uses symbols and metaphors, right? And they use obscure terms or obscure, leave us wondering, what is this poet talking about? So we can imagine and fill it in. And so this is all part of that. So rather than see it as something that lacks total meaning, see it as a means of the anxious expressing awe at the magnificence of the powers of nature that surround us that we don't always understand. Okay? Okay. Don't lose any sleep over it. <laughs> Be comfortable. <laughs> okay. Tybal. When you said that about Raiders of the Lost Ark, before that, somehow the movie, not that movie, but I thought about the ending of a movie that maybe because I saw it when I was a teenager, it made such an impression that the end of 2001, mm. with all the energy merging and the cycling, anyway, I just thought, I tossed that out there instead of a Raiders and 
Right. Well, that was, and, and we had the creation of the first human being. Remember? There was a fetus floating around there. Yes, exactly. By the way, we just. But the astronaut became the fetus. He somehow. That's right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. One of the worst movies I ever saw. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, it's a great movie. All right. Okay. Now we just, we just (laughs) saw it again at the Hollywood Bowl. Really? Yes. They have, they have a, they, uh, somebody created a score for it. I mean, no, no, no. It's, it's the score that it's, it's Williams. John Williams did the score for that. Really? No, 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 it wasn't. No, it, it was a series of classical, uh, melodies that were woven together primarily. That's what it was. Anyway, so you watch the movie and you have a chorus that sings that background, uh, you know, that noise and that, that sort of melodic, Echoing wow. sound in the background there. And then you have, uh, the whole thing laid out, but all the music is live right there in front of you. It was magnificent. It was great. Yeah. No, but it's a very, it's a very, uh, interesting movie. Did you know they were going to show the movie before you went or you just went for the music? Oh, I saw the movie when it came out. I no, saw no, it. No, but, but when you, original. when you bought the tickets for the bowl, did you get the, Tickets because of the uh, seeing the music, the Philharmonic. Yeah, get it knowing there was going to be a movie to go with it. They knew it. No, no, no. They tell you exactly what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They had a big, big screen set up all over the place. Yeah, they do that. Yeah, we've seen that. I, I saw that. We saw that with another. Um, no, it was an opera. No, no yeah, and the but it was staged on screen. In other words, it was a. a a video of the performance, but the, the singing was done in, by live singers. And it was, it was not a full, you know, opera with all cut with a gazillion people in it. Anyhow, we have a modern piece. And the, but the music was being played and the music was being played by the, it's a whole new way of, of, of showing, uh, of, 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 expressing, you know, Classical music, or you know, some of the things that are classics. Okay, so the Tybal, yeah. so the Tybal wait, would wait, understand. Wait. No, no, for Tybal. Wait, the, Barbara, the hold on, hold on, Barbara. The, the Marlene and, and uh, I, I, I know, but like we we just were talking about the bowl. So so that Tybal will understand. It's an outdoor theater seating three to four thousand people. Oh no no eighteen thousand. Huh? Is it that much? Oh, that yeah. has. They have television sets because you sit so far away most of the time set okay. up so that you can see what's being done on the stage. That's all I want to Thank say. You. All right. Okay. Gary Malise, who's going to talk? Both of you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, um, I guess I wanted to go back to when you were saying Kavod. Uh, it's not just, it's not always, tra- tra- it's not always honor. It's, it's like a representation of, of God, is that what? Fine, it is. Saying? It is an expression of the presence of God. Expression of the presence. The presence, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Does that okay. does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. okay yes. All right. <clears throat> okay. Then there is a further statement, uh, and I'm I'm going to sort of skip it. But the main, the interesting thing in this thing though is the the um, well, first of all, there's an Oneg Karali Yom Shabbat. Okay, 
it begins the the uh, the God may call We praise, right? We are praising this God who rested, uh, who who from all work, from all manu- from all making of things. And on the seventh day, he he went up and sat on the the throne of his glory, and he robed himself in glory and magnificence. Um, on the day of rest, and he called it a oneg, a, a joyous, a, 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 an enjoyable day. All right. And we know from the uh, Haftarah on Yom Kippur, where it tells us, Ukratem Shabbat oneg, you shall call the Sabbath day a joyously wonderful day. And the term mm-hmm. oneg Shabbat, Comes from that phrase. And where is that? The con- and it, 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 it enshrines it enshrined within the tradition and notion. Shabbat is a day when you're supposed to enjoy. You find happiness, satisfaction, happiness, right? Positive, good food. That's why the tradition of having the three meals and and have using special recipes. Using different kinds of food. Okay. Because it's a day when you rejoice. You're allowed to use whiskey to say kiddish, right? Because if you don't have wine, and even if you do have wine, it serves the same purpose, just in smaller amounts. But it really, it's, it makes you very happy. You know, it fills you with joy. So you should be joyous on the day. I mean, wine is still the best thing to use, especially Friday night. Okay. And if you don't drink alcohol, use grape juice. Kosher grape juice is a good thing. It's sweet. It's all right. They don't add sugar to it like they do with the wine. By the way, Manischewitz wine lasts in the bottle at least two decades. <laughs> all right. I, I can prove it. We got a bottle. Okay. Kyle, go ahead. You said that in my refrigerator, my child is, my only child is 27. We're not drinkers. We still have the Manischewitz bottle from his bris. <laughs> we leave it, but we don't put it in the refrigerator. It sits in the <laughs> It's in the fridge. It's, it's impervious. You know, I think you could probably use it to, to clean your car, the engine. If you poured it in the engine, it would probably clear out all the gunk and you could save a bunch of money, you know. But here's the interesting thing here. It says, after that line, Zeshevach shall yom hashvi'i. This is the praise of the seventh day. Shebo Shabbat el mikom lakto, on which God rested from, ceased from all of his labor. Shabbat, by the way, remember, it doesn't mean rest. It means cease. Shabbat means to cease from laboring. It doesn't mean to rest. Lanuach is to rest. Okay, and that's why cessation of labor is the key definition of what you do and not do. Okay, cessation of labor. All right. Okay, but the so and how do we know that the seventh day praises God? Mizmor Shirli Yom Hashabbat. Mizmor. A song of the Sabbath day. Tov it is good to, to praise God. 
So who is saying it's good to praise God? The seventh day. It's a midrash. Okay? In, in the original, it's in the psalm. It's the psalm of the Sabbath day. Okay, Mizmor Shirley on the Shabbat is the, is the, the Koteret, the introductory, uh, 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 statement. Then the psalm begins. It is good to praise God. But the rabbi, the author of this, and it's based on the Midrash, the author of this is saying, no, that's not just a, an introductory clause or statement. It's though, it's telling us that the Shabbos itself praises God. Have you ever heard of a day, a day, a measure of time praising. Okay. And Paula, if you want to talk about something that is totally irrational, here you got something very, the seventh day is praising. Time is praising God. Sacred time is praising God. Why not? God created time. It's a creature, right? He created the days, right? He created the concept of time, 24 hour distance. Right, the days, the months, that all of that, according to Genesis chapter one, is a creation of God. God created time. Time is a creature. Now it doesn't say anything, but at the same time, the moon and the sun and the stars don't say anything either. But yet we read Hashemaim the Supreme Kavodeil in the Psalm, the heavens speak the glory of God. Right? So things that we don't assume with have a spoken can speak, you know, they communicate. And Shabbat is communicating praise of God. Well, if you think about it as a metaphor, Shabbat is communicating a praise of God to us. The whole concept of it. This is the creator. Look at all the amazing things this creator has done. So that's, the, 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 you know, but it's a strange statement. In a sense, as a poetic statement, you want to, you want to talk about, you know, you can talk about the great British and American poets who write things and you don't understand what you're reading, right? You got to have a, a, a glossary, right? To understand their poetry. It's like read Shakespeare, right? My, my, I have the complete works of Shakespeare on, in one volume. I used it when I studied Shakespeare at UCLA. They're all annotated because without the annotation, you don't know exactly what Shakespeare. And it's the same thing like the Mepharshim, like the commentators on the Bible. Right? There are words in there that we don't understand. They help us understand it. And, you know, you get a modern, tempor- a contemporary one. They actually have a lexicons now that are scientifically created based upon, you know, careful linguistic studies. So anyway, uh, to me, that's a fascinating concept. Okay. Then you have this final line, Titbarach Moshienu. And again, I'm here on page. I am um, now. At the top, no, sorry, no, I'm not at the top. At the bottom of 74, the last line of the paragraph that begins La'el Asher Shabbat, which is the paragraph after El Adon, the last line says, Titbarach Moshienu, may our Redeemer be blessed, Al Shevach Maseyadecha, on the, uh, praise of the May you be blessed uh, by virtue of the praise of your the, the creation of your hands, the Alma Ore Or Sheasita, and on the uh, lights of the, the 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 heavenly lights that you created that will will praise you, Selah. Selah means indeed. 
Stop. Wow. Okay. All right. So why Moshienu, Redeemer? What does it have to do with anything we've been reading? Okay. And I want to tell you that on the weekdays, we say the same line, except instead of saying Moshienu, we say, Kifarach Adonai Eloheinu. May Adonai Eloheinu be blessed. Why does it say on Shabbat, Moshienu, our Redeemer? Kaibel. Um, is it the idea that Shabbat is supposed to be a taste of the world to come? Ah, That's what you mean. Coming of the Messiah. <clears throat> the redemption. Good. You get two gold stars tonight. Yes, you can put them on your forehead right here. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yes. It's because Shabbat, I think, this is what I think. I haven't found an explanation for it. Let me see if there's a note over here. No. I don't know. I, I, I haven't had time to really look into it, but I, I think that that's what it's, it means. Makes sense. And remember, this mess, this concept of messianic redemption pops up all over the place. All over the place. All right, so just suffice it to say, on weekdays, a similar thing, but much abbreviated. Okay, because, again, Shabbat, because it is the ultimate day of rest, is the day on which you have time, you can linger, you can say more words, okay? You can do the, the, the rabbi can give a, a, a drosh, even though it wasn't traditional, but you know, you have a drosh. You're not going to get a drosh during the weekday services because people are in a hurry. Shabbos, you don't have that. Okay. And by definition, the same thing, but still in, in, on a weekday hol- holiday, uh, you do not say El Adon. It's an abbreviated, it doesn't have that. They use the abbreviated one as well. Okay. Now we're going to finish up. On page 75, there's now a major shift. This is what's on this page from the top to the bottom includes the, the well, the first two thirds is what's called the Kedusha de Yeshiva, the seated Kedusha, because the key defining element is the triple Kadosh from Isaiah chapter six. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzavaot, Molochol Haaretz Kvoto. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his kavod, with his presence, with God's presence. Okay? So this is, and as opposed to the Kadusha de Amida, right, which is the Kadusha we say is part of the Amida. All right? By the way, what is the major difference? I'm not, we're not going to be reading the Amida. What do we say at the Kedusha, Shacharit, whether it's weekday or Shabbat or holiday? How does the Kedusha begin? I don't know it. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, I know it. I know right it. after Magain, after Mechayeh HaMeitim. Oh, that's the other one. That's not, that's, that's Musa. What's the first word? Nekadesh. Nekadesh. 
Nikadesh. We will sanctify your name. <clears throat> Who is the we? All the people. The people. The congregation is sanctifying during the Amidah. Who over here on this page is sanctifying? Okay? So read in the English. Middle of the page. Okay, right before holy, holy, holy. Okay, it says, each turns to the other and they proclaim their loyalty to God. And each gives permission to joyfully hallow their creator. And so with clear speech and sacred melody together as one, filled with awe, they call out and say, holy, holy, holy. About whom is that speaking? Each. Every person. No. Look at are, we, are we back to the angels again? <laughs> the angels. angels. This is the Kedusha de Yeshiva takes us into heaven. <clears throat> Paula was written for you. The angelic praise. <laughs> okay. Now you're going to go into heaven. Just perfect. Thank like you. Like you ain't never seen it before. Okay. No, but that's what it is. This is, this is based on the mystical, this is taken right out of the mystical traditions of the early Talmudic era mystics. Okay, this is what, what Rabbi Akiba and Rabbi Ishmael witnessed when they ascended. And they are your day, right? Amerikaba. They came down from there. Okay? But the point is, so the angels here are saying it. And that's the original source, right? Because Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh comes from the prophecy of Isaiah, right? Where he sees he's in a temple. <clears throat> we don't know if he's in the temple in Jerusalem <clears throat> or he's in the temple up top. <clears throat> it seems as if he's down here and he's in the temple in Jerusalem and he has a vision of the angels and he sees down here in our temple a corner of God's garment, God's robe. He sees a corner of God's robe. Isaiah chapter 6, you can read it when we're finished. Okay, and these angels say, Kadosh, Kadosh. So they're the ones that say it. So what is the message to us when we say in the Kedusha of the Amida, we will sanctify God like the angels? What is it telling us? We're going to be like the angels. Not we're going to be. We are. <laughs> we are like the angels. In the sense that we can praise God the same way. We can use the same words that they use. Right? And so this notion of bouncing. I see your hand, Tabo. Just a second. <clears throat> when you bounce for kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Right? What is the symbolic meaning? You're going up to God. You're going up to God. You're elevating yourself into that realm. But are you fully? No way. You're not jumping. You're elevating. What it is, is you as a human who exists on earth can simultaneously sense an ascent up into the highest spiritual realm. <clears throat> That's what it's saying. You don't have to leave the earth. In other words, remember we were talking about the Gnostics and those types who say you've got to get your soul out of your body. Remember, we began with that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
this is totally contradicting that. No, I don't have to get my soul out of my body to ascend to God. I can sense God's presence with my feet on the ground. I will extend myself to the highest expression of my spirituality as I interact with God, but I'm not leaving the ground. I'm not going out of my body. I'm not having an out-of-body experience. I'm still here. You don't need an out-of-body experience to sense God. You have the capacity as a human being, if you work at it, to sense a relationship and intimacy with God and still be a human being. It's a powerful statement on the capacity of a human being to live a sacred life. And everybody says it, not just the rabbi, not just the chazan. Everybody says it. In fact, we say it before the chazan does, right? He just repeats it for the people who can't read it. Okay, Taibo. It's a question I have a feeling you're not going to like it. So now that I've said that, I'm going to ask it anyway. I thought the definition rabbinically of being holy was to try to be like God. Isn't this a diminution of the goal to say we're like the angels as opposed to being like God? Or you're going to say the angels are part of God? No, the point being, being able to establish a relationship with God, the angels, by defini- by the definition of the mystical tradition, the angels have a relationship with God different from ours. In other words, they're spiritual beings in the first place. They're non-physical. So they have, they don't have the difficulty that we have. They have no, they, they do not have physical qualities, physical needs. They don't have the physical, the trouble of trying to, you know, control our bodies so that we can do good things, so that we can believe in principles of truth and so forth and so on. Okay. We have to struggle with it. But the saying, what we're, but what this is saying is that, um, we struggle, but at the same time, God, God allows us that pathway for us to perhaps Ascend and appreciate what what spirituality can mean, and bring that in back with us from our little jump, our little venture by saying "Holy, holy, holy." We, as if we were angels, in other words, as if we were in that realm, participating in this amazing, glorious praise and 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 exposure to God. But we don't have to leave this place to do it. That's what this is saying. We emulate God. We don't become like God, right? Angels do not become like God. They are not sub-gods. They are creatures. That's what it says. God, it said that already, right? That the angels praise him. They're part of Maaseh Hashem. They are create. That's the whole point. They are not the antithesis of the creator God. They are creatures along with us. They're just different kinds. And they're totally spiritual creatures. So they have a, a different kind of relationship. But what the Kedusha says when we say Nikadesh, we can also participate like that. We work hard. We got to work harder to do it, but we can't. Does that answer your question? And it was not a question that I, you know, we're supposed to emulate God. Yes, we can share in the Kedusha because we are sacred beings. We're in the image of God, yes? There is an element of holiness within us. 
right? That's why the, you know, when you get married, it's kiddushin. At one level, it means acquisition. That's the, the, the problematic part of that word. And it is a problem. But on the other hand, it means sanctification of a relationship. So we can, we, we know from sanctification because we can feel it. In fact, the fact that we can say in the Kadesh is because we do have that quality within us. It's saying you don't have to be an angel. Humans can have it too. And we can emulate, we do, but we do not become God, right? By having that spark in us doesn't mean that we are deified. We can be sacred creatures, but we are not deified. Do you understand the difference? The spark of the sanctity can be within us, right? We, it's a, think of a flame. Yes. Think of a flame. The flame can warm our, can burn our hand, right? It can warm our hand. We, but we, but we feel it. We can sense it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that, that we become the flame. Oh yeah. We can burn our, we can, you know, we can have ourselves burned. Yeah. Then we do become part of the flame, actually. But on an ongoing basis, you have candles in the house, right? They admit, they emit light. Yes. Okay. We can appreciate the light and the warmth, but can you emit light thereafter? No. Okay. But, but what God is telling us is that we have embedded within us certain innate qualities that are God-like, but doesn't mean we're God. Okay. So we emulate God and we have the, what they're saying is the, the Nikadesh is actually an affirmation of that fact that we are in the image of God. Therefore, we have the capacity to seek a way to make contact with God spiritually. And we can say kadosh, 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 just like the angels do. And it makes God just as happy. Okay. All right. So the, you want to, uh, Paul, a question or are you just, oh, okay. All right. So let me just, um, all right. Find, find two, five more minutes. All right. So here it says the thing. So here's another tiparach. Okay. That same word, but blessed be our, our rock, another term for God, our king and our redeemer. There it is again. The creator of the holy ones. Kadoshim are angels. They are the holy ones. Now by definition, right? They are, they, their, their essence, they're not, we are in the image of God. They actually share of the, the, that, that holiness in proportions that we do not have. They have to, because as opposed to the priests who work in the Holy of Holies and are defined in the Torah as Kadosh, right? These guys work not in the Holy of Holies. These guys work in the chambers themselves, right? In the big palace. Not in the little palace down here, not in God's summer palace. They work in the big palace. And in order to work there, they got to be holy. Because the amount of holiness that exists up there is proportional to down here, huge. So therefore, they are holy by, by definition. We don't know if they can see God, do we? What? We do not know whether or not they can see, angels can see God, do we? Well, I'm trying to think. I don't even know if they, I don't know. I can't answer that question. <laughs> I, I won't even attempt it. <laughs> okay. I won't even attempt it. 
But they do. They, I think they do because they, they praise God as if they, they see the splendor. I don't know. I mean, depend, you know, what is this? And they, they, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess not everybody believed it, 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 mystics. Not all of them believed in the, in the giant body thing, but they, but the presence was there. Okay. Uh, it, it may simply be think of, think of a nuclear reactor. To go back to Raiders of the Ark, okay. Think of a nuclear reactor. Alright. So if you are a if you're already radiating, right, you can't get radiation poison. Right? If you are an entity that radiates like the reactor does, of the same thing. So you can be there and you're not gonna get radiated because you're already radiated. You're not the reactor. But you're radiated, okay? We are not radiated. So, you know, we can't get as close to God. Goodbye, Paula. Thank you. Um, so we can't get as close as they can, right? So, uh, Barbara, I think, look at it in those terms. Okay. <clears throat> Wait, Rabbi? Yes. Instead of a nuclear reactor, does a mixa analogy work? In what sense? Because a mikvah can change the status, the purity status, but you can't trafe up a mikvah. If it's a kosher mikvah, you can't trafe it up. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, well, it's the same thing, right? The the cloth on a parch of a parchment cannot be uh, defiled. The what on a parchment? The the parchment. In other words, if a woman, the whole point is this, it's a myth that a woman can't have an aliyah because if she kisses the Torah, she'll defile the Torah. A safer Torah written with the name, with the words in it does not absorb uh, defilement. It does not. Okay. The reason a woman cannot be in a Torah is because maybe if she's in, 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 in Nida, she'd be touching the, the uh the bendel to touch it kits the Torah. But if they have if they have their own talus and they touch it, you know, first of all, the rabbis never conceived of a woman having an aliyah to the Torah in the first place. All right, so there's no halacha on that. But you know, but but maybe the the problem is if they're up in the bima, they bump into somebody, a man, you know, my God, they will be Matame the man, so to speak. And <laughs> all of this is moot because the Tuma there, the only thing it does Prevents us from going into the temple, not the synagogue. So who cares? I mean, realistically, there's, there's a big, a, a wonderful truva on this that a, a rabbi friend of mine who's on the law committee wrote. Basically, she said, we're all Tameh because every day we walk around and touch things and there may be dead bodies where we walk. You know, who knows? We are permanent. So this notion that somehow Tuma is is transmitted by a woman in Nida. We're not going to a temple to offer a sacrifice. And if we go to the Torah and touch the Torah, we're not defiling it. Well, and if we, we held the handles, let's say we held the handles, which is not the parchment. Okay, let's say I'm a woman in Nida and I touch the handles. Yes, some of my, I will bring Tuma to the handles. Okay, and a man touches it. His hands now have tomb on it. Okay, what do you do? Nothing. Uh, you go to the mikvah. 
go to the mikvah and you'll be okay if you if you feel that need. But the point is, even if you didn't, in the world we're rampant with toma, right? There's no temple. Now, if you believe that the temple will be built overnight, then you might have a problem. But all it means is if the temple will be built overnight, which the rabbis say will happen, it'll be a miracle. Human beings, according to one, some of the Torah sages, say that human beings will not rebuild the temple. God will create it overnight miraculously. Because Lord knows if we begin, especially if you begin in Israel, it could take you 50 years to build a temple by the time you get through all the paperwork, like Los Angeles. All right, anyway. Uh, Rabbi, was that a Pamela Bardash tshuva? No, but she's dealt with it. No, it's Susan Grossman. Susan Grossman's tshuva, yes. And she, but she's in favor, she's in favor of mikvah and she's in favor of waiting the seven days, right? She doesn't argue the additional seven, but the, the, in other words, as long as you're a menstrual, right? And giving yourself a couple of days thereafter to make sure. All right. That's it. But it's not because of the tuma factor. She says you should be in a sense experience, using this as an opportunity to experience the concept that life force has left your body because the egg that is leaving your body is a life force, uh. right? And by the way, men who have an ejaculation and have intercourse also are supposed to go to the mikvah because they also have allowed a life force to go out of your body. Blood does not carry that, by the way. Blood is the carrier of life, but the force, but the egg and the sperm are actual creators of the life force. Okay. So she says we should, we should do it. Interesting. What, what's the basis of, of Orthodox men, the, the heavy Orthodox men not wanting a woman to touch them, to shake hands? Well, that's the point because they that's don't the whole thing, right? Because Anita. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But if a woman's not an Orthodox, an Orthodox woman wouldn't even, you know, wouldn't even think of doing it. I know, but I, I still don't understand the reason why. I don't when I go to an Orthodox man. Well, yeah, know. but they don't because that you might be in Nita and you may but not. If be if I know you that I'm not. Nita, you can only, you can only, you can only cleanse yourself of the defilement of Nita by going to the mikvah. Oh, so if I haven't if you're not an observant person who goes to the mikveh after nida, if you are no longer menstruating, you you can go up to the guy and say, "I'm not menstruating anymore." <laughs> Theoretically, you know, but there's also the notion of physical contact. It's not sneistic, right? I only touch my wife. You know, I don't touch women. It's another the. Very orthodox people love to create a a fence around the fence around the fence around the fence for fear you might break down one fence. Right. The next inside fence. Yeah, I mean they're fence crazy. I had That's a friend who married with guy. orthodoxy today. I had a, a friend that married a guy that was so frumy that, but he didn't just study all the time. He actually had a job, but he was so frumy. That when that when I was with him, he wouldn't even look at me at the at the Shabbat table. He wouldn't look at me. He'd look at wouldn't look at other women there, just the men. I mean, that is so outrageous that looking at 
a woman, you know, it, it, Beth, it, as I say, it's gotten out of hand. Lot meat is my favorite whipping boy. And that was even before my son-in-law became a kosher butcher. <laughs> he's non-glot. Okay. Oh, it's non-glot? Lot meat thing is the same thing. Kosher meat is kosher. And unfortunately, um, ignorant mythology has now said that you can't eat, if you keep glot, you can't eat in the house of a, of a non-glot kosher house because it's non-glot. And there are people who are non-glot in the modern Orthodox community, their friends who are glot won't eat in their homes. And that's stupid. Yeah. Totally. Stupid. I mean, you can say, I won't eat the meat. Okay, fine. Or they can prepare glot meat. And so they, what am I going to prepare it in? Same pot and pan you use for the non-glot meat because it's not trafe. There's a difference between non-glot and trafe. Now, if yeah. you consider non-glot to be trafe, you've just invented a new halacha. <laughs> and you're not authorized to do that. Nobody is. Not something like that. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Anyway, what this passage talks about, this whole statement, this paragraph, all right, on page 75, it talks about the create, this is how the angels praise God. Okay. And they are creatures. It says that God is their creator. They praise God and there's repetitiousness over and over again in how they do it. Because remember the power of repetition that we, we've seen in these poetic expressions okay and i can go through it with you step by step but i really want to move on next time to some to the next prayer all right okay. um, but the 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 point is and then it ends up by them saying the other thing is this there's total harmony up there they share glorification of god one to the other okay and this is something that is said um this is said every day yeah. This is not just said on Shabbos. This is every day. Okay. And, and the, the point is, it's as if they give permission one to the other to praise God. There's no, there's no fighting. I'll praise God. You can't. I will. Everybody does it together in harmony. Right. So heaven is a harmonious, perfect existence of spirituality. Okay. And then they say, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. All right. And then, and then they, after that, there was, they say, baruch kavodar anayim komo. That's what they said when, in Ezekiel, when the chariot went back up to heaven. So they were praising it from heaven. Now that you're returning to heaven, we praise you. So this is another statement of praise of God. That's in Ezekiel. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh is from Isaiah. So it brings the two prophets who had theophanies, who had these visions of God and the divine realm, it brings them together, right? And it, it's, it, it, it just as emphasis on the uniqueness and the power and the glory and the, and the magnificence of this whole process. Okay. All right. And then we're, next time we come back, we're going to finish the, with the final blessing, and we'll conclude with the, 
blessing, and then we'll move on to Ahava Rabbah. Okay. I wish you all a good week. And in anticipation, that's way down the line. It's not even Wednesday. I say good Shabbos. Stay well. And uh, may the force be with you. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.